I mean, I remember, say, when I did finally kind of end up leaving and, and you know, I, I didn't leave with a formulated plan. You know, I, at that point, I was still like, I'm just going to take some time out and go on safari yes. and think about what's next. And I remember I would um, sit on a kind of chair with a, a, a book and, and try and or go to the beach and kind of try and brainstorm you know what my future was going to be and kept staring at a blank page and and I was kind of expecting to see some job advert that um you know sounded perfect and, yeah. and in the end I suppose what I did is I created a you know a, a job advert that uh, or a job a role that was uniquely suited to my skill set um that didn't exist before um sure. and and that's but but I, I would love to say I, I had a eureka. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, you know, I'll produce and found a series. And, you know, yeah. it, it just didn't happen in that way. Um, and and I have been feeling my way through it every year as well. So I, the, the question I get asked more than any other is, you know, what's coming next? What's your life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews with Jen Rod, where you will discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. Super excited to, yeah, to kick straight into this conversation with Margot Raggett. It's full of twists and turns. It's all about her life story. Um, you know, how she was on a completely different journey to where she is today and, you know, what brought about the realizations of changing path and how meeting one person actually um, had such an influence in her, her life-changing path. And also how exploring hobbies um, contributed massively to this life-changing path, which is, you know, what we what we all go through. We all go through stages in our life where we think, oh my gosh, am I doing what I should be doing? You know, could I not maybe contribute more to society, make this world a better place, or even save the things that um, human beings are destroying? You know, there's, there's so many elements to the story that I love. Um, one of them also being, you know, really just utilizing all the skills that you pick up on your life journey um, and and sort of putting them all into a bucket and using those to to change the course of your, you, you know, of your life journey. And you, you'll hear about it. It'll all make sense when you listen to Margot's story. I always say it's so important to listen to a full life story. I know these stories are long, but play it in the background while you, you know, you're driving or you're running or you're walking or you're getting things done in the home. These stories are so beautiful and they have so much impact when you can hear them in their entirety. Um, share them on with friends. I always say sharing is caring and there's nothing nicer than receiving a story from somebody that you know, you know, who's already listened to it, vetted it and um, yeah, shared it on with you because stories are incredible and when we receive information from people that we know we take it more seriously so share this on if it's had an impact on your life then please do share it on with uh, the people that you know and that you love 
Um, connect with me, guys, on Instagram. Uh, it's sort of my go-to place and where I have fun of sharing different pictures and, you know, notes and messages, etc. Uh, for example, I switched this interview around with Ed Stafford's interview because, yeah, today um, he had his, his twins that were born. So those of you that follow Ed, who's a sort of great adventurist and, you know, shows up on all these various TV TV channels, um, you definitely know him. And yeah, so he was actually supposed to be today and I switched it around. So this is the sort of information that I put on Instagram as well. I love connecting with all of you who are listening to the show. So yeah, once you've listened to this, hit me a little line, you know, tell me you've listened to the show. And yeah, I love just having a bit of contact with you guys there. And if you go to inspirationalinterviews.com, subscribe on the website. Uh, every week you just receive one of these cool life stories in your mailbox and um, yeah it's cool for those of you that are interested because I uh, interview for people so I you know set up little boutique talk shows and you know set up you know different talk show events for people so if you are needing someone or you're needing an interviewer just otherwise go straight to jen at inspirationalinterviews.com yeah without any further ado let's give a warm cyber welcome for Margot Raggett. Not everyone knows, but you're a wildlife photographer. <coughs> mm -hmm. And I, I, I would imagine you would also describe yourself as a conservationist or, you know, how give us your sort of version of how you would describe yourself, Margot. Yeah, I mean, life is a journey, eh? And um, I actually, um, to go back one step, I yeah. worked in public relations for 20 years in London. Mm -hmm. um, so straight from college, I went to London and was a real career woman, kind of worked my way up, became chief exec of a, a big international PR firm that had clients like Unilever and Coca-Cola and stuff. But mm -hmm. I got really kind of disillusioned with the corporate world and um, with doing kind of publicity for for consumer products that come and go and, you know, didn't really make a difference to the planet. And, and so I left there in 2010, not quite sure what I wanted to do, but in love with wildlife because mm. I'd been going on safari. So um, I, I went on a, a wildlife safari that was led by Jonathan and Angela Scott, who have become um, wonderful mentors to me. Um, and I didn't even realize it was a photographic safari. And it was only like the day before. Um, you know, I was so busy at work. I read the information. It said, you know, bring yeah. your camera. And I thought, what camera? So <laughs> I, I rushed out and bought kind of a cheap kit camera yeah. um, from, from the camera shop and, and showed up. And it was it was not a good enough camera. Um, and my pictures were terrible. But they really inspired me, um, firstly, into photography by seeing their beautiful images and, and kind of understanding the difference between a, a, a crap shot and, and something that's thought about and composed and beautiful. Yeah. Um, so then I kind of determined, having met them and got inspired by them, that I wanted to be a wildlife photographer. So wow. worked really hard to spend a lot of time in Africa and kind of bartered my PR skills to spend time at camps and build my portfolio and my mm. experience and and was starting to build um, a fairly decent kind of following on social media and people wanted to start to travel with me. Um, and then we got to 2014 and um, I saw a poached elephant one day um, wow. and that changed the course of my life again. Uh, so I uh, I was staying in a camp in northern Kenya, um, just north of Lakipia, and um, we heard hyenas from this camp going crazy at like four in the morning. So at first light, as soon as we were able to go out and see what was going on, we went to find out and, and found an elephant that um, had a poisoned arrow in him. He still had 
his tusks. He was quite young. He was probably about 14 years old. Mm. Um, and I was saying, well, what, what on earth has happened here? And so the guides explained that probably someone had shot him with a poisoned arrow, but it hadn't killed him. So he would have bolted, got away from the poachers. And then after three or four days, the poison would have got in his system and, and he would have died a very slow and painful death. And, mm. and the hyenas had obviously started to to attack him or to eat him mm. at the body. And it was such a horrific sight. Mm. And I was so upset at the pointlessness of this death. And, and I just got really angry. And I, I just thought, I'm not, I'm not having this. I'm no, it's, I'm not, yeah. this is not right. So mm. I thought, what can I possibly do? And started thinking about all my skill set. And at that point, I had um, met quite a few other wildlife photographers and um, so I started uh, kind of approaching the, the friendly ones that I knew and saying, look, I really want to raise awareness <laughs> of elephant ones. poaching. And yeah, well, as in, you know, what ones that I chatted to um, and that, that, that I knew, you know, I could I could pick up the phone to and who would know me mm. um, and say, look, I'm, I'm you know, I, I want to try and do something. If I were to put together a book on elephants or an exhibition or both, you know, would you would you contribute an image for me? Um, and they all said yes. Um, and I was quite surprised and I, I kind of got in my head I wanted 50 and I, I didn't know 50 at that point so once they started saying yes I said who else would you recommend do you know anyone else that you could put forward mm. and and I started researching pictures of um, just beautiful pictures that I came across on the internet that I loved of elephants and tracking down the photographer behind that and saying could I use your image and yeah. and eventually we, we kind of um, got there and we're in a position to, to put a book together um, and yeah, that that kind of changed the, the the course of my life. But I mean, it's such a long story. I don't know how much you want me to. Oh no, listen, I'm <laughs> listening, say. and and I'm actually I'm, I'm going to go back because I mean I'm I'm listening like at a million miles an hour because you I can hear you've told the story a few times. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, I'm probably rattling away. Oh no, no, it's all good. Well, I you know let's let's stop there for a second because um let's just go back now quickly. So just in a nutshell, what did you study? Oh, so at, at college, I studied uh, communication and image studies. That's what I did a degree in. And what's image studies? Well, it was everything from film to photography to media generally. So um, I was the editor of the university newspaper when I was there as well. So I, I had a background in kind of um, publishing from those yeah. days and design for, for publishing in, in those days. And And then PR is very similar. So I was commissioning a lot of photography so we would do corporate brochures for people and I would commission the photographers and set out mm. my vision for the images I wanted and and so I always had an eye you know an eye for design and photography even before I was taking my own pictures yeah I mean how how amazing is that I mean I would never have thought you would have said imaging I mean yeah, because I'm... yeah you were saying that you went on this and so who's Scots I mean the Scots who are they where where is this uh, for wildlife Triple a couple, yeah. So, so Jonathan and Angela Scott are—they're um, the only couple to have individually both won the title of Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Um, wow. So, um, and uh, Jonathan Scott was a presenter on the very famous BBC show Big Cat Diary, which ran in the UK during the 1990s. Okay. That was a, a live broadcast show from the Maasai Mara. So, yeah. They're, they're based in Kenya, um, and uh, he's actually English originally, but moved to Africa in the 70s, I think, and, and um, met Angie, and they, they, they split their time between Nairobi and the Maasai Mara. Mm. Um, so, uh, but they are also wonderful conservationists. So when I say that they inspired me 
they've inspired me firstly to get into wildlife photography and then secondly they also inspired me to to move into conservation because they're patrons and ambassadors for many organizations um, and really use their voice and their fame that they've built up over many decades to to highlight those organizations and to make a difference for them yeah so basically having these role models you you very much well I mean I can imagine then you you sort of I mean you know they always say that in in life like find role models in in sort of the niche that you're wanting to go into or the genre that you know you you have passions in and sort of try and maybe mirror a little bit about you know mirror a little bit what they're doing so was it a bit like that you were sort of kind of mirroring in a way not not so much at mirroring but just kind of really taking seriously you know that their opinions that um, okay. you know if we don't conserve this world and, and the wildlife and nature within it um, that we um, you know we'll have nothing left and okay. so it's incumbent on all of us to do something yeah okay um, so then when you uh, when you were at the PR company uh, 2010 you said you went on this trip right Yes. So what yeah. made you choose? I mean, it's it's crazy that you didn't even know it was a photography a wildlife safari trip. Like what made yeah, you even I, choose that or them or Kenya? Where was uh, your head at the time? Well, I had been going on safari for about a decade before that, um, okay. but not taking any decent pictures at all. Um, I just had a kind of little point and shoot and I I look back on my pictures now and they were all terrible, you know, that if there was a leopard, it was in a bush with its back to you. And, yeah. and yet I bored my family and friends by saying, look, look, it's a leopard. Yeah, um, I promise. That, I promise I, it's a leopard. Exactly. But but I had um, I'd gone on my first safari because of a, a university housemate, a really good friend of mine who um, had grown up in, in Kenya. Um, so she was the first person I ever met at university and we stayed friends ever since and and she had moved back out to South Africa and and we all met up for a big birthday out there in the wine district which was wonderful and and she said well look if you're coming all this way you should go to a game reserve because you never know you might you know never go on safari again so she takes entire credit for the course of my life because she she told me to go on the safari and when I I turned up I went to the Sabi Sabi um, Sands Reserve and um, I was really hassled, but it was a really hot day and the plane was late and I arrived and they said, you've got five minutes before the, the game drive goes. And I was kind of grumpy about the fact that I had to rush and yeah. got in this car and drove around the corner and there was a newborn giraffe and I was blown away. It was yeah. still wet. It was all knock kneed. And, yeah. and I just thought, my God, wow, you know, this is incredible. You know, is this real or is it just, you know, been placed there? To, yeah. You know, the, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. From the plane into the car, I mean, into the room, drop your bags in the car again. And suddenly you see this newborn giraffe. Exactly. And I was hooked on, on wildlife from that moment. I okay. just loved it. And I found it incredibly therapeutic. So, you know, a busy job in London, always kind of slightly stressed and wondering if you know everything's okay back in the office and I felt I found that as a kind of vacation I could uh, absorb myself in the animals and not think about work whereas if I'm kind of you know laying on a beach or something it's too easy to let your mind drift to to Mm. worry so so I would go on safari after that as much as I could because I just loved it so um but I'd always gone to South Africa at that point. So, and then I happened to just be on an email database kind of 10 years. Well, in fact, it was nine years later. An email said, you know, join, uh, see the great migration with Jonathan and Angela Scott. Um, uh, okay. And 
you know, for, for once in a lifetime trip to see the Great Migration. And I thought, yes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tick that off my bucket list yeah. um, and go. Um, and and I tried to book in 2009 and they were full. Um, so they put me on a waiting list and then they recontacted me in 2010 and said, right, we're doing the same trip again if you want to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that 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 email, the fact that I got on the waiting list again, just kind of you know, controlled the twist of life. I love how sometimes just little things like you know that one friend I met the first day at university, you know, influenced the course of me. You know, that one email influenced yeah. the course of my life. That you know, everything is twist and turn. Well, that's but- why I like to ask these questions, you know, because it's mm. also it's like, what did you study at university? I always like to see these links because it's funny people forget to look at the links and forget to look back and it's actually it's phenomenal to see all the little steps that you've taken in your life actually have contributed to where you are today you know as you say yeah. right down to the people that you met and and I'm actually curious um you said that you applied in 2009 do you think the outcome would have been different had you gone in 2009 possibly <clears throat> yeah, possibly, because I think at that point I wasn't quite ready to leave my my role in the way that I was a year later. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, yeah, indeed. <clears throat> and what I mean, what what do you think had? Because two thousand and nine was I know that because I was I was also living in London at the time <clears throat> trying to sell a company, but it was the the worst time to try sell a company. Um, what like what is it that had happened in that year that made you sort of have this? you know, complete change of heart or, or, or just to see a different future for yourself? Um, well, the, the PR company that I, I worked for, um, I actually uh, instigated uh, back in 2001 a, a management buyout from the original owners. So five of us raised funds and bought the company. And okay. then we sold that on to um, buyers in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, they made me chief executive, um, yeah. and we basically did a four-year earnout. So, uh, 2009, I was still during the earnout phase, mm-hmm. um, so I still had, um, you know, stuff to do at that company to kind of maximise the value I would get when I sold my shares. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's amazing. So it was literally just a timing thing. I mean, it was literally like it, and it wasn't even. You know, it's it, it. You had already. It was already in the in the charts for you. Do you know what I mean? You had yeah, already. Yeah, but I like, could have. I yeah, it was. But I I could have stayed on. Um, after we'd sold the shares. Um, but it was. Yeah, just many factors coming together. Um, yeah. And you know, I I didn't quit my job because I went on that safari with Jonathan Angela Scott. But you know, just lots of things were kind of all coming together at the same time that yeah. made me feel it was just the right time to to make a change and, and, you know, and I had enough uh, kind of a, a cushion behind me because I'd bought a company and sold a company that um, I could take some time out and think yeah. about what I wanted to do. Yeah. So then what was your, so now you went on this trip 2010 and you were inspired. So then you came back and then did you keep using this silly little camera in in that trip or did you <laughs> get upgrade to borrowing someone? Ooh. No, I, I upgraded the camera. Um, I, I got onto a very um, expensive path of discovering that there's a great Nikon camera dealership in London called Greys of Westminster where you can trade in your old gear and then buy a new lens so you get value for the old one against it. Okay. Um, it it's not the most um, financially um, wise way of doing it. You'd be better if you just sold your lens, you know, 
privately, but that's more hassle. But mm. it, you know, it suddenly feels like the, the the difference between the value of the old lens and the new one. You know, it's like oh, it's only another nine hundred pounds instead of a you know fifteen hundred pounds. Yeah, so yeah. it felt not so not so extravagant Shocking. to yeah. kind of do it. So so um, yeah, I started that, and then um, for kind of three or four years, I was on a a journey of kind of upgrading um, uh, every year and getting better and better lenses. But the other thing I did do is I went and signed up for a week-long course at the London School of Photography okay. um, to really kind of take me back to the basics. So yeah. although I had shot like 20 years before on a, a manual camera, um, a film camera that um, I'd inherited from my grandfather, I said I hadn't really kind of pursued that. So I'd then been using a point-and-shoot. So when I went out with um, that first trip with Jonathan Angela, I didn't really know anything about settings and aperture and, you know, ISO yeah. and yeah. speed and things. So um, I, I went to this great course at the London School of Photography where they just took you really back to basics. And at the end of that week felt that I could shoot manually and I, I knew the basics. And I, mm. I then wanted to get back out to Africa as soon as I could to start practicing what I'd learned. Yeah. So this was after the the, the, the John and Angela Scott trip. Then you went yes. on the course and then you were like, okay, awesome. I want to go back again and I'll do this properly. Yes, yes. And I did lots of courses and, um, you know, like day, there are lots of wildlife photographers out there who might offer um, day seminars or, mm. you know, they offer their own photographic safaris, um, you know, and some of these people I signed up with who then subsequently, you know, became friends and became part of, um, you know, contributors to the books in, yes. in later years. Um, but, you know, very much at the beginning, I was kind of pupil to them and, and just, you know, learning the craft. Yeah, yeah. So you, you talk about the book. So let's jump in there now just to, you know, just to tell everyone who's listening. Let's just talk about these books so that that sort of comes into the picture a bit more. Um, sure. So it's, it, yeah, you, well, I'll hand it over to you, but it's sort of the remembering collection or what, what would you call it? Yeah, it's it's the Remembering Wildlife series. Okay. Um, so um, we have so far published four books in the series um, on elephants, then rhinos, then great apes, and then lions. Um, and Remembering Cheetahs, the fifth book, will be out in October. Um, okay. I was actually just in Italy last week um, on press where we, we print at a very um, wonderful fine art book printer who do a, 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 a hugely you know quality job for us um, mm. so uh, yes five books and the idea the principle behind all of them is the same as I have for that first book with elephants that at the time I didn't realize it was going to become a series I thought I was just doing a one-off when I embarked on it yeah um, but the, the aim is to raise awareness of the plight facing that particular animal and then also to raise funds um, for its protection in the wild okay so um, uh, the, the way that we did that that first year with elephants is um, this is the formula I've followed ever since is to fund the book on Kickstarter. So mm -hmm. I'd, I'd seen another photographer, um, David Lloyd, who um, who I'd been on a few safaris with, and he had uh, funded his own um, photographic wildlife book on Kickstarter. And, and the idea is that it's all or nothing on Kickstarter. So you set out to raise an amount that you need to, to make the project happen in a certain amount of time and if you don't hit that target within the time frame, then it's all or nothing. So mm. um, then the project doesn't go ahead. So I lined up these 50 photographers to be in the elephant book and set out to raise £20,000, which um, would have printed, uh, allowed me to print a 1,000 elephant books. 
Um, and I had no idea whether um, we would succeed in that or not. Um, but I thought, I'll just give it a go. And if we're not successful, then um, so be it. it. You know, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Um, and set out, I partnered with the Born Free Foundation um, in that first year because I thought I know how to, I think I know how to raise the money here, but I don't know how to wisely spend it. There is yeah. a lot of corruption out there, particularly in Africa, and you could very easily just raise all the money and then go, you know, go into the wrong back pocket and yes, not to sure. the cause. So I, I, I went with Born Free, who I'd actually been working with anyway. They'd approached me and asked if they could use some of my images for their marketing. So I'd um, I'd been giving them images. So then I rang them and said, look, I've got this idea. You know, should we work together? Um, so we set out to raise the £20,000 and we went live at 9am. Um, and I... Um, really wasn't sure how we'd do. And by one o'clock, I think we made about £8,000. Wow. So I was thrilled with that. But yeah. I was thinking, God, it's another 12000 That's a long way to go before we um, you know, hit that target. And we've got 30 days to do it. And that's a lot of books. Yeah. I was doing the sums. I thought, will we get there? And then, um, and then Born Free emailed their database and said, "Look, this is you know we're, we're working with this lady on this project, and this is the idea, and you know please support it." And people started buying. And, okay. and on Kickstarter, you get an alert like it's an app on your phone, and every time someone buys, it says, "Jen just bought a copy of Remembering Elephants yeah. at you know forty pounds." Um, and it was it ended up flashing like a fruit machine, and I, I just. <laughs> I remember getting a glass of wine that night and just watching it flash and we hit oh. the £20,000 at uh, like 8 o'clock, so less than 12 hours wow. it, that first day, um, which was just amazing. That is um, so, 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 so super cool. I mean, I can, I can feel it also, you know, and I can see you sitting there with a glass of wine with your phone or whatever, just like seeing these pings coming in the whole time. Yeah, no, it was a wonderful feeling. So then we had um, yeah, the, the, the rest of that month to just kind of raise as much as we could. And, and we ended up raising £58,000, which yeah. meant that basically I could pay an editor, a designer, the, you know, the, the printers in Italy, all the costs of making the books, not only the ones that people had bought on Kickstarter, but then we were going to be left with spare stock that yeah. we could then sell. And, and all of that money from the, the proceeds of that could then be raised for the cause, as it were. Yeah. So just a quick question. So all these other the photographers that were contributing their pictures. So were they I, I, they were they paid or not? What was the arrangement with them? No. So all the photographers just donate an image, um, which goes in the book, and I ask them to let me also make a print of that image to put in an exhibition that we hold every year okay. in London. Yeah. Um, and and then I say, you know, can we just make one, or would you let us print more? So it doesn't cost them anything. We you know we cover the cost of the um, making the prints of the exhibition, mm. um, but they are giving away their you know their kind of copyright. Um, for for our use in that well they're not giving it away they they retain the copyright yeah. but they're they're letting us use an image that you know is owned by them so it's yeah. very generous of them and if they it, you know if they didn't do that we you know if we had to pay all of the photographers for the images it it wouldn't make economic sense you, you know by the time you've done that it, it would be too expensive and you wouldn't make any profit on it mm. which is the whole purpose yeah exactly so but the profit and is it a hundred percent profit going to the fund if to well is it still born free that you're using or no so i worked with born free for the first three years so for elephants rhinos and gray tapes and at that point i kind of had grown enough in my knowledge of how it all worked and my confidence that i wanted a bit more freedom to yeah. pick and choose the projects that i would work with and and not 
necessarily have to have money going into because um, Born Free have their own projects that they work on as well as kind of supporting some third party ones. But I, I, you know, I just got to a point where I was more clear in my head about the type of projects I yeah. wanted to support. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's 100% of the profits um, that yeah. get donated, but we've now become, I mean, basically I registered as a limited company about two years ago, I think now. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it was just me, um, you know, with a, a part-time editor in that first year, but, the, the workload is, has become pretty overwhelming. Sure. So I now have a, you know, an assistant who works on an hourly basis for me. I have a finance director. I have accountants. I have and you, you know, a PR person. So you, you yeah. end up with all these, you know, a staff basically. So I have to pay everyone. And, and that first year I didn't take a salary, but because this has now become my full-time job, um, I do take um, a, a low salary, a fraction of what I would earn in the commercial world yeah. if I went back to the, the big job before. But yeah. um, it, it's the only way I'm able to kill, dedicate my time to doing the series. But yeah. but after all those costs, um, that the profits are all donated. And um, so we've donated £630,000, which is more than $800,000 so far since since I started. In, um, and that first book was published in 2016. So that was 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all this all started from that the impact that that it uh, I mean, that that seeing that elephant had on you, right? Yes, but it's that that was maybe the trigger. But it, as, as we've kind of discussed it, 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 every other thing I'd done in my life before that um, also, you know, put me in that place and, and gave me the skill set and the idea and the knowledge to um, to make it happen. Yeah, sure. No, I, I get that, but it's it the 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 conservation side of it. That was obviously your relationship with with Jonathan and Angela, as you said. Um, but also seeing this elephant had that impact on you. To I mean, because you could have just been a photographer, you know, just yeah, snapping away. Yeah, yeah and it's funny in a way. It's um, you know, say I. I I adored and I still do when I get the chance, you know, spending time just, you know, in a Jeep watching elephants or whatever species and absorbed in that. And I, I continue to find it the most relaxing and therapeutic thing in this chaotic world of ours. Um, and yeah, I, I thought for a while that's what I, how I wanted to spend my time. And now actually I find myself back behind the computer most of the time yeah. um, running another company. Um, but it has a purpose to it. And, and in a way, I didn't have a purpose, you know, apart from making money when I ran a big PR agency or, you know, seeing my clients be successful and helping them make money. Yeah. Now I feel so much more satisfied that I'm actually achieving something meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, you talk about the PR company and you were sort of marketing or selling these products or promoting these products, you know, that you just didn't have a resonation with in a way. Um, well, this, yeah, I mean, this podcast that went out yesterday, also this woman who moved to Bali, she was, she had her own advertising agency and also had the same thing of just, you know, talking about in her words, just, we were just selling these dream bubbles, you know, and she, she just had absolutely no yeah, deep connect, you know, there was no soul connection with that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's not that, you know, that there's not fun to be had in that industry. And I, I had a great time and met some wonderful people and, you know, had some amazing adventures and experiences and things. But I think as you get older, you realize, you know, well, life is finite, time is finite, and actually the resources of this planet are finite. And we're, mm. 
that the consumerism that drives us, um, the model of the the world, which is to make people buy more stuff and you know yes. sell more stuff and endlessly want to upgrade and change what you had last week to an even newer, bigger, shinier, better, whatever it happens to be, just means we're um, destroying the planet um, and uh, and being part of that you know process. You know, in a way, is kind of I look back on it and feel a bit ashamed that you know I, I was. Um, pushing that but uh, you know I, I bought into it as much as anyone you know I, I would buy designer handbags um, I was so busy at work that you know I had very little downtime so my you know my, my thrill is you know work hard play hard and yeah. you know spend hard you know but buy something to to show yourself that you've you know you've earned it or something and now mm. I look back at I have a cupboard still with all these designer handbags that never get used yeah <laughs> and yeah and I you know and I spent thousands on and you know and, and now I use a rucksack um, yeah you know it's uh yeah I, I I think I've just worked out my priorities a bit better now I mean was there you know during this time when because you talk about I mean you you had a great time there's a lot of fun to be had in the industry but and you you know you would just sort of work hard play hard but was there also this sort of inner voice during that time that that spoke to you that if you look back now, you could see that, you know, you, you knew it wasn't quite where you wanted to be, but you, you were working hard and playing hard. So you kept going at it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, maybe to an extent, uh, but more in that, um, when I instigated the management buyout and the whole process of that and the business side of that, I became more fascinated with the idea of running a company and the business aspect of it and how you make it successful and less about the actual doing the PR for, for products. So yes. I think I'd already started to move away. But, you know, I've got some amazingly creative friends who still work in that industry and just, you know, have fun coming up with a catchy slogan and get a thrill when, you know, it it takes off. And, and you know, I, I understand that. I just think now... I can apply all, you know, if I hadn't learned my trade there, I hadn't learned the skill set, um, I wouldn't have been able to make the books the success they are. You sure, know, it's, sure, yeah. Um, we, the book series couldn't afford to hire someone who, you know, had my expertise, um, you know, to, to publicize it. You yeah. Know, you, 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 so it's, yeah, it, it, it's all, you know, I don't regret any of it. It was all part of the journey to, to get me where I am and to, to give me the skills to do what I'm doing now. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah, and say, so, and I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have done it if I hadn't learned that trade. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that, that I, I, I mean, I had 120 employees at its peak and, and from time to time, you would get someone who came in, resigned and said, you know, I'm leaving and I'm going to work for a charity because I want to have something more meaningful in my life. And quite often they would come back because they were so frustrated at the bureaucracy of how the the kind of charity world worked and, yeah. and how it was very slow moving and it wasn't dynamic like we were in the you know the kind of fast moving PR agency. So mm. I think I've just brought you know that that background over and I don't you know I I, I move swiftly I keep everything lean um, I'm not constrained in the way that um, some of the other organizations are because I've got a very different training and background to sure. how I go about things. So this, so your, your limited company, how do you describe it? Uh, well, so if you go onto our website, which is rememberingwildlife.com, we, we, we say our purpose is to um, raise awareness of the plight of species and to 
um, to raise funds to protect them. And we're committed to 100% of the profits that we generate um, from this going back into conservation projects. And we've supported more than I think it's 44 projects in 23 countries now. Yeah. Um, so then you can have a look around the website and see on the projects tab all of the different projects we've supported yeah um, and I just say we're very lean um I actually I looked into whether we should set up as a charity but it's it's again it's very onerous the rules and regulations around um, running as a charity yeah. and also charities are really designed to encourage donations yeah where they can then get play uh, claim back in the UK something called gift aid which is the tax that people would have paid but we don't um I don't ask for donations I sell books and prints and yeah. um, other things that I get donated so um, we can't claim gift aid anyway we're not just a charity with a begging bowl we're, we're a business that's maximizing our profit that we can then generate for projects yeah. so um, it's you can't even as a charity um, sell stuff to raise money you have to have a trading arm which is a separate arm and and you know when I started looking at that and the costs of getting someone to set it all up were going to be like tens of thousands by the time we did it. I thought, no, I just want to give that money to you know a cheetah project. I don't want to spend it on lawyers setting up a yeah. trading arm of a charity. So, um, so and I, all the, I yeah, I all the stigma, a right? Time. So there's a lot of stigma around the word charity as well. There's, there's uh, it, it 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 can have a positive and a negative uh, name. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's difficult. I think it's, you know, everyone who does set up a charity or do what I'm doing in whatever form, they're all doing it for the right reasons, but um, it can just get lost along the way and um, say, I I understand, you know, people are very um, particularly keen to understand, you know, what percentage of their money they donate to a charity is actually going to the cause. Sure. And we do get people who ask me from time to time, say, what percentage of your book, um, you know, uh, if I buy a book, is going to go to the cause? And I say, well, I actually can't tell you because it depends on so many factors. If you buy the book direct from our website and it's paid for because of Kickstarter, it's £45. But if I post it to you and you paid £10 postage from Sweden, say, and it costs us £15, then, um, you know, we've got to knock a fiver off for the extra postage it costs us. And then... I'm paying storage for the book. So, you know, that could be a pound a month or something because it's been stored. And then if it arrives damaged and you want a replacement, then I've got to cover the cost of that as well. And, you know, and if you buy it from Amazon, we only get £22 (laughs) instead of the 45 And, you know, so I literally cannot tell you. It's it's so many factors because, yeah, I'd say I pay warehousing. I pay uh, a distributor who has a cost, you know, pick and pack cost for every single book. Um, so the only way I can do it is to say it's, it's not a percentage, it's a business, but all of our profits are donated um, and and tell you how much we've donated. Um, yeah. And, you know, and hopefully by the fact you're not just giving us a, a straight, you know, kind of money out of your pocket for nothing as a donation, you're actually, you're buying a beautiful book, which is something to treasure or something to, to give as a wonderful gift. Um, but you know it's also doing good at the same time. Yeah. And I, I actually think, I've thought long and hard about this, I think this is the way the world has actually got to go and kind of cause-related businesses yes. that are putting their profits into good mm. um, are the way that we need to be. So so brands originally originated so that people could understand the consistent quality of something. So say Coca-Cola, you know, everyone knows that brand down there. And you know, if you buy a Coca-Cola in Australia or the UK, you know, you're pretty much getting the same product and and the guarantee of quality. 
but you know all of those original kind of corporations you know are all for profit so they're they're making profits for shareholders and that gets plowed back into the system whereas um and and you would buy a brand because you felt and this is part of the job we did in marketing so you know we'd say you know you buy this particular brand and and you're cool because you know you're associated you know you're wearing your Nike trainers yeah. or whatever, and we we tell you that that's cool. Yeah. Whereas now, I think people should think they're cool if they're buying something that is giving back. Yeah. Um, so there's a great company that I love their their ethos and model. Um, called they're from Australia originally, but they're um they're certainly in the UK and America, and I think they sell globally. And they're called Who Gives a Crap. Yeah. Um, and they are toilet roll manufacturers, but their toilet rolls are all either recycled or they're bamboo. Yeah. And fifty, and they're all beautifully packaged in funky paper, so that and and they have silly slogans on like your bum will look good in this. Yeah. On each of them, so they're kind of funny and they've got entertainment. But fifty percent of their profits go to building toilets in Africa. Um. So when you, it's a little bit more expensive than the standard, you know, kind of toilet roll you buy in the supermarket. Yeah. But I feel that brand me buying that brand so something about the person i am and the person i want to be um for the planet and so that's how i see remembering wildlife we're you know we we are a a business we're we're not a charity but when you buy one of our books it's saying something about you yeah yeah so um you when when you had this initial kickstarter and all these you know sales were going through um do you born free was definitely a help in that sort of initial kickoff right and that the publicity of your of your first book yes yeah most definitely so it was very helpful to work with them that those first few years and and get to understand how um how conservation worked basically and yeah. how projects worked and um that the wheels that 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 turned there um but yeah so we, we kind of worked in partnership but equally Still, all my skill set in terms of the publicity came to the forefront straight away. So okay. I was able to start generating publicity as well. It wasn't just all all them doing yeah. it, but it, it, it kind of worked as a, a partnership. Yeah. There's something else in my journey that's probably worth just mentioning at this point. That it, it happened around that time that at the end of the Kickstarter, mm. um, so say we had 30 days to make our target, and if you don't make the target, you, um, all you don't nothing. get anything. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And a week before the end of the Kickstarter, um, I was actually out in Greece, where I am now. Um, and I, uh, so at that point, we knew that we'd uh, succeeded. So mm-hmm. it was just a matter of how much we were going to make and, and hoping for the best. Um, but I woke up one night feeling really uncomfortable, discomfort on my side. And I kind of sat up and felt myself um, and found a lump in my breast. Um, and mm. thought that's not good um, and yeah. so I kind of jumped out of bed and felt it and it was still there and I moved around hoping that you know if I, yeah. if I jogged up and down it wouldn't be there but it, it still was and a friend of mine recommended a, a one-stop breast clinic back in the UK so when I came back like five days later I, I went straight there and that was the day of the Kickstarter so Kickstarter ended at 9am and we um, had made £58,000, which was fantastic, but I had hanging over me this appointment in the afternoon, and um, at nine o'clock that night, I was being told I had breast cancer. Oh, wow. Um, so a complete kind of twist in the turn, and, and at that point, I was due to go to um, 
in Zimbabwe, like uh, I think it was a Wednesday and on the Friday I was supposed to go to Zimbabwe mm. and um, to see elephants out in Marlin Pools and um, I said to the surgeon, um, but I'm going to Zimbabwe, you know, I, I can't have breast yeah. cancer, I'm going to Zimbabwe on yeah. Friday and he said, no you're not and I said, uh, well, how long am I not traveling for? And he said, but at this time, at this moment, we don't know because there's more investigations to go. But, you know, if you have to go through chemotherapy as well as radiotherapy and surgery, you could be out of action for a year, um, which was a, a huge, you know, sobering shock. Um, yeah. yeah. Because I felt suddenly my life was no longer, you know, in, under my control and, and um, other factors were... Um, controlling it. Mm. I mean, the, the, to cut it short, the, um, the the happy outcome for me is that I had to have surgery. I had to have two lots of surgery, but they were lumpectomies, so not as invasive as a, a total mastectomy. Yeah. Um, and radiotherapy, but I didn't have to have um, chemotherapy, which is obviously the most debilitating. So yes. um, my treatment from surgery through to the end of my radiotherapy took three months. So I worked then through to Christmas um, and and basically I threw myself into the elephant book because um, apart from you know I had to go to hospital once a day for a month for the radiotherapy and I, I always scheduled that for the end of the day because it was very tiring and I wanted to go to straight after but yeah. I would work on the elephant book in the morning and then get on the bus and go to the hospital and and come home and um, and it actually again it gave me something to concentrate on yeah. and focus on yeah. as opposed to feeling lost and um, you know, I, I just got really determined and got my head down. And um, so I'm now five years clear. I've just wow. had my fifth mammogram, which um, I mean, it never the, the worry that it could return never really goes away. But after five years, the, the odds of it doing so reduce. So yeah. I'm in a, a much better place. So I've just kind of again, the whole series has been produced against the backdrop of me knowing my mortality and, you know, understanding that. Um, you know that the life I lived before where I you know I took it for granted that life would go on forever yeah. and I could do whatever I wanted um, is is was not correct and yeah um, and I kind of I remember having a really pivotal moment again in that journey of why I left the PR agency mm -hmm. actually it was back in 2008 when the big recession hit and yeah. um, we were losing clients it was a very difficult time and I, I met up with a girlfriend at a spa for a, a night and and um, kind of out in the Cotswolds, and she was late arriving because she'd actually witnessed the fatal car accident on yeah. her way. So yeah. um, she had seen this middle-aged lady pulling out of a side road, being another car going into her, you know, the, the whole thing. And, and, and she was in total shock when she arrived because she said, God, that woman had, you know, set out that morning to, you know, do her chores and, yeah. and never went home again. Um, and, and it was pouring with rain that night, a very um, stormy kind of creepy night. And, and we were chatting about it. And I just said, if I knew that I was leaving the house today and I wouldn't come home, I know I would not be doing what I'm doing now. I would not be working in PR. I, you know, I, I just I know it. And and I kind of feel like now, obviously, I don't um, wish ill on myself and I don't want bad things to happen to me. But if if my time was up now, I I feel I could kind of go and feel satisfied that I yeah. had done something good. Yeah. Wow. Well, then to go back to my question earlier, then you did have a sort of eureka moment where you knew already that that wasn't the industry for you. 
Yeah, but it, again, I, I I didn't act on it, so I yeah. think it, it it wasn't so decisive. Yeah, but that's so important. Moment, but that, it was yeah that, the, because the, a lot the of people that start bubbling in your mind. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of people have that, you see, and they don't act on it. Yeah, it took a lot to to be brave to do it. Um, I mean, I think that the challenge is, uh, you know, as you do build your career, um, you know, while I was casting around thinking, well, what would I do otherwise? Um, if you've worked for 20 years in an industry, you know, you've built your profile up, you've worked your way up to chief exec, um, you know, and you think, well, I fancy, you know, doing something completely different. You know, you, you would always have to go right in at the bottom if you don't have I know. the skill set, yeah. if you don't have the CV. And, and fortunately, because I had um, made some money from doing the management buyout and selling on, that gave me the cushion and the luxury of not having to, you know, immediately go into another job. But I, you know, I've got, and also I don't have any, I'm single, I don't have any children, so I don't have any dependents, so I'm not risking things. Whereas I have girlfriends who've got, you know, kids in private school and, you know, school fees to pay and mortgages to cover, and they just don't have the luxury of, you know, um, changing career half, you know, in their 40s or, um, you know, downgrading to another career because they can't afford it at that stage in their life. But I was fortunate that I could. Well, you, I mean, you say that, but had you, at the time when, when, when you had that sort of eureka moment at the, at the spa in the Cotswolds, I mean, had you sort of said to yourself, had you known maybe you were interested in photography, right? Um, and you looked at your position then, which was, you know, chief exec, making decent money. I mean, here you are in a spa in the Cotswolds, not bad. And you're thinking, you know, oh, I don't know, this is not so, it's not for me. I'm not, I feel like I'm really contributing to society. Like I'm not feeling connected with my soul or, you know, with my truth or whatever it might be. And then your friend would say to you, well, why don't you go and be a photographer like you wanted to be? And then, and then you, you, you sort of put those two, one in each hand and you would be like, are you crazy? Like, I can't afford to just suddenly go and be a photographer. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if you, if you weigh it up like that. People would never, ever make those moves because, I mean, some people do, but, but you just don't because there's just too much of a difference in, in salary, in uh, uh, title, in, yeah, just, you know, what you've built up to now suddenly going back down to the bottom. So, you know, it's interesting because you, you had sort of set it up, but then you, you know, you were following your passion still, your interests of still going on these wildlife photography trips and enrolling in a course. So I think, you know, that's nice for people that are listening as well as to know, like to know that you can still make these changes. I, I, I really believe, you know, even if you do have kids and I understand the difference of when you've got private schools and those sort of you weighing those things up, but what, what you put your kids in private schools for however long and then you live an unhappy life and feeling unsatisfied. I, I don't know if that's worth it in exactly what you're saying now. If you were to leave this planet now, you would feel good about what you've contributed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I did, I mean, I remember, say, when I did finally kind of end up leaving and, and you know, I, I didn't leave with a, formulated plan you know I at that point I was still like I'm just going to take some time out and go on safari and think about what's next and I remember I would um, sit on a kind of chair with a a book and and try and go to the beach and kind of try and 
brainstorm, you know, what my future was going to be and kept staring at a blank page. And, and I was kind of expecting to see some job advert that, um, you know, sounded perfect. And, yeah. and in the end, I suppose what I did is I created a, you know, a, a job advert that, uh, or a job, a role that was uniquely suited to my skill set um, that didn't exist before. Um, sure. And, and that's, but, but I, I would love to say I, I had a eureka. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, you know, I'll produce and found a series and, you know, yeah. it, it just didn't happen in that way. Um, and, and I have been feeling my way through it every year as well. So I, the, the question I get asked more than any other is, you know, what's coming next, which mm. is, was, was what happened that first year. So Elephants came out and it was a huge success and we raised £135,000 and everyone said, right, what, what are you doing next? And yeah. I said, well, hang on, I didn't, you know, I didn't commit to more than one. I, you know, in my mind, this was a one-off while I yeah. got on with my life, but um but yeah, every year I really think carefully about whether I think uh, there's still an appetite for the books, both from the photographers who contribute, but also from, you know, the public generally. Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, outstay stay our welcome, as it were. So I'm always just carefully kind of feeling my way through that what feels appropriate, but also pushing pushing it out further and trying to build it. So I've just achieved distribution for the first time in South Africa and also in the US and Canada now as well. So Although it's obviously a, um, a very challenging time globally um, to to be launching in those markets, yeah. I'm I'm still hoping that will give us more traction and um, and, and build us up even further. Um, but yeah, it's it's a work in progress. I didn't I didn't have a five year or a ten year plan, um, but I have evolved into you know finding a way to live my life that. Um, you know, is, is much more aligned with everything I wanted from it yeah. when I was dissatisfied. But how, so how do you measure it for yourself now? Like, uh, I can imagine you don't have like a check off list, but how do you measure it sort of internally to, to know within yourself, like you're still in the right place. This is still aligned with you, with what you're doing, you know? Um, interesting question. I'm, I'm not, Sure. I mean, I suppose I judge the success of the book. I mean, often what one key factor is how um, our Kickstarter campaign runs every year. So mm -hmm. for four years, every year it went up by about 25% in what we raised. Um, this year, I, I went out to Namibia in February to visit, because um, the, the book's on cheetahs, to visit uh, the Cheetah Conservation Fund out there. And um, I came back just around the time that lockdown happened. I think I, I went, I got back on the 6th of March. I gave one talk at, a, at the Nikon School. And after that, I just locked down in London. And, and we were due to launch the Kickstarter at the end of that week. And I really thought long and hard about whether it felt appropriate. I thought, gosh, you know, with everything that the world is facing and, and you know, we knew so little at, at that point. But um, does it feel appropriate to be asking for money for a book? And, and should I go ahead? And then I thought, but if I don't, then... Um, if I don't do it now, we won't hit our printing deadline because, you know, the, the schedule is kind of fairly fixed. Mm. Um, so I, I, I hoped for the best and went for it. And um, uh, and we were successful. So we, we still hit our target on day one, which was amazing. Yeah. But we earned, we raised less than we did last year, mm -hmm. but um, still more than the year before. So I figured that was a pretty good result given the, you know, the, the climate out there yeah. um, at the time. So, um yeah, but the, I mean, the most satisfying thing for me is when we're supporting projects and um, that's when I get my real gratification. You know, I mean, to be honest, like this morning, I spent an hour and a half writing 
30 emails to different photographers and some things I need to do with our our launch you know it, there's quite a lot of admin involved yeah. there? you know there's not no one finds admin fun um, so, no. <laughs> um but, but, but it, you know I, I still have to get on and do it you know there's yeah. so much work that um people don't appreciate that has to happen but um but the the payback for me is you know kind of handing over the the check to the the ngo or seeing how they spent the money and like last year, we, we supported a project called Saralo, which is in the South Rift Valley in Kenya, and an area that isn't a private reserve, but it's kind of uh, privately owned land by local Maasai communities. And there are wild lions there that um, potentially get killed when they come into conflict with, with local peoples. So this organization works to try and mitigate the risks. So mm-hmm. they'll keep an eye on where the lions are. They'll tell the Maasai that they don't take your cattle to the river today because there are lions down okay. there. Um, if, if the cattle or if the Maasai lose a cow when they're bringing them home at night, which happens more often than you would think, because often it's the young children who are left in charge of the cattle yeah. and then they're playing and not paying attention. And so they, they will ring Serrano and say, you know, we've got a lost cow out there. And if you leave a cow out overnight, you know, it's going to be a temptation to one of these lions. Sure. And then if they take it, the, the Maasai see that as, you know, almost like killing one of their family. They want to retaliate, so you hear of poisonings and spearings and things. So Serralo will go out and, and fetch the, the cow and take it back home. And they were showing me a picture of um, this little car that they had that they were kind of squeezing a, a, in a comical way a cow into to, with its head kind of pressed against <laughs> the glass yeah. to bring it back. And this car kept breaking down. And the last year we were able to give them 30000 um Buy them a new you just vehicle, broke up which, there, Margot. Um, you know, Margot, you just broke up okay. there when you said the amount. You gave them, th- I think you said 32. Uh, no, I, I said 30. Oh, 30, um, yeah. So, yeah, so $30,000. And, and with that, they were able to buy a, a reconditioned um, Toyota Land Cruiser and get it customized exactly what they needed so they can fit a cow in the back, but they can also fit um visitors and tourists in the back when okay. um, they come there and it's it's given them a lease of life for like five years in terms of what they do um yeah. where you know if they've got no vehicle they can't get out and about so um that i went down to um to help in inverted commas deliver this vehicle i met i met the guy who works for the organization in nairobi and he picked me up in the car and we drove back down to the south rift and um i took some um great pictures of him sitting on the bonnet looking out at the land and yeah. and that was probably one of the most satisfying photos i've ever taken so having kind of you know got massively into wildlife photography and and loving taking pictures of elephants and and leopards now i'm taking a picture of a man sitting on the bonnet of a land cruiser yeah. and i'm feeling um immense pride and satisfaction that um you know we're, we're actually making a difference to, yeah. to that, that organization Wow. So that, to answer the question, is very much sort of how you know that you're still very much aligned with with these projects and with what you're doing. Yeah, I think as long as I keep getting that satisfaction and, and yeah. I know that we're, we're doing good, um, then then yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's an evolving world all the time. And I'd say I, I don't want to outstay our welcome um i'm always very cautious and um i don't take anything for granted but um you know the 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 legacy of these books will live on even if if the project you know if eventually i decided that you know i'd done enough of that yeah i wanted to move on past is new but 
um, five books, five beautiful books as a series is um, something I'm immensely proud of. Yeah. And tell me, because of the, the Elephant Project being your first day and you told me that story, right, when you when you had mm. to, those three months of chemo, et cetera, and you said, but it gave you that time to focus on the books and, you know, work every day and then, you know, go and do your chemo. Or not, it was it was chemo, right? Or it, at the end of the radiation. No, it was radiotherapy. Radi- yeah, at the end yeah, of the radiation. day. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like, you know, also for maybe people listening now who who are inspired by the fact that you were working in a different industry and then you, you know, you went into this world, like, can you just paint that picture for me exactly like what your day looked like while you were, you know, creating this book? Um, yes. I mean, the, the, the process of creating a book, as I say, it, it, it's a lot of admin. Um, mm. so you, you know, first of all, you're writing to, um, lots of photographers and, and, you know, dealing with individuals saying, oh, you know, thank you, Federico, you know, out of the 10 choices of picture you sent me, you know, this is the one we really want to use. Can you, we transfer me the high res, you know, it was lots of kind of very basic admin yeah. like that. And then, and then being on calls with a designer who starts to put them on page and ringing up and saying, no, move it a bit here. Um, I also write pieces for the book every year. So, I commission articles from sort of uh, leading experts in the field, but I also always write an introduction to try and explain my journey as to why I've done that particular book and and how I'm viewing the world. So sometimes it was sitting down and, you know, trying to write my article. Um, Sometimes it's giving interviews like this one I am with you, you know, to try and get publicity. So sometimes it's, you know, that, paying the invoices for you know designers yeah. or whoever so, yeah i mean it's it's running a company and to say I, I i i bucked against that thought for a while because i'd left um the world of you know running a company and all the responsibility yeah. and i found myself back doing it again but but i know how to do it so um so yeah d- during that three months it was very much head down doing all the things i needed to do to hit deadlines and, yeah. and ticking off my to-do list and and then as i said i would get on the bus um, to the Royal Marsden Hospital, which is um, just down the road from me in London. And um, radiotherapy itself, the session, only takes about 60 seconds, but it takes, you know, kind of a two-hour round journey by the time you get there, and they're, they're having to kind of line you up very precisely on the um, on the, the bed that you lay on, and yeah. they put tattoos on you so that they know where to point the lasers and things, and they're moving you around. So it's like time-consuming but it does it does um it is quite tiring it also you can have skin reactions so I did actually get like a sunburn basically and and every day if you if you've got a sunburn and then they're gonna blast you in the same place again it gets more and more painful Mm. so um yeah I just kind of um you know went into a little cocoon and and you know, would come home and eat something nice and go to bed early yeah. and, and then start again the next day. But I finished on Christmas Eve. I actually, they were going to spread it out the last few because of the Christmas period. And, and I normally have weekends off and I begged them to do it over the previous weekend so that I, I kind of knew I could finish on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, and I booked to go back to Kenya on January the 1st. So I had Christmas at home and then I was on a flight back out on safari um and when i landed in the masai mara flight to nairobi and then on a little plane out to the mara back to a camp that i was working with a lot in those days entim camp and um the guides that i knew there that all came to meet me at the airstrip and as i climbed off the little plane and kind of put my foot down on african soil i burst into tears oh, i can imagine i just thought i don't know 
that there were moments where I never thought if I would see it again, and and, and that's a scary thing, you know, with um, when you get a cancer diagnosis, you don't actually know how bad it is at that point. Yeah. Uh, it's so much about what stage you are and, and how early you've caught it. And mm. um, so it, it could have, you know, it could have gone in a very different direction for me. Yeah. So I was so grateful for the chance to be out there. And I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't take it for granted. Sadly, in, in the meantime, my father, um, he already had been diagnosed with prostate cancer and he actually ended up dying um the very day that I finished writing the Great Eight book, um, oh. he he passed away. Wow. Um, so I've had a lot of hospitals and cancer and um, you know and mortality to contemplate on while I push through the series. But again, it just makes me focus. So yeah, um, the the Great Eight book, and in a way, I suppose these books are also like if you if you if you read them in in sequence you can kind of see my journey a bit so I yeah I do I did kind of dedicate the eight book to my dad and the, the last words I wrote in that were you know to him because I I said to him a couple of days before he died I was driving back and forth to his house which is like an hour and a half away and said um I said I'm printing the book in Italy in six weeks dad and at that point he was he was bedridden and he was obviously very poorly and I said, you know, so I, I'm, I'm going to need you to behave while I'm in Italy printing, you know, oh. not that, you know, I, I, I don't want you, you know, passing away when I'm not here. And, yeah. and he said, oh, you know, it, it comes to something when you don't know if you're going to be alive in six weeks. And it really made me, and he died two days later. So his wow. mind was still there, you know, mm. it's just the body was giving up on him. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I wrote those words in the book saying, because it was really clear that day he wasn't going to make it, saying, I'm so sorry you'll never get to see the, the book printed, but I've shown you, I shared it to him on my computer so he saw that book and you know and I thank you for all your support and things so um yeah the books are very personal to me you know wow. wrapped up in my life and yeah the journey absolutely I've had in the last five years and do you think that um, the, the the these this um you know where you're at you know like with the chemo and then now with the ape series with your dad like does this influence the photographers that you end up choosing do you think um no I don't know no, I don't think so. I mean, no. it, it, it's not, it, it's such a different world. But what I do is, you know, I, I, I do have a, an art director and an editor. Um, and we also had someone who worked a little bit with us on image consultancy this year. But it does ultimately come down to, you know, me, images that appeal to me. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, yeah. there are so many wonderful photographers out there. Um, I mean, the, 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 you know, some photographers, have embraced it more the project more than others some you know really thrown themselves behind it and got enthusiastic and you know publicized it themselves a lot and yeah so um that really helps you know spread the word for us so i i, I kind of you know I, I i tend to spend more time speaking to the ones that are really engaged with it and yeah um but yeah no, no nothing in that journey has affected the the images i choose yeah um but um that all comes back down to my own personal taste and you know yeah. um, and and observations of wildlife photography yeah. that's happened over the years. So, do you have a picture in each of these books? I do so far. Yes. Um, if I end up doing a species that I haven't photographed, then um, I I won't. But yeah, I always um, I was quite kind of mixed about whether I should or not because yeah. I know that there are some people out there who can be a little bit um, kind of snipey about it and say that you know she's doing this to elevate her pictures but the truth is I'm not I you know 
you know, I'm, I'm not trying to work as a wildlife photographer particularly anymore. I'm not selling trips. I, you know, I, I put all my time and energy into making the books a success. Yeah. So if I was doing it to elevate myself, I'm, I'm not very clever at it because <laughs> it's not paying no, but any, I mean, uh, any dividends. No, but I mean, I, I find that's um, unfair anyway, to be honest, because this is your project. This this wouldn't exist without you. And if you were putting your own pictures in the book, I, I don't see any, even if it was elevating or not, or I mean, this is your project. Like, it's okay if your picture's in the book, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm very super sensitive about these things and just trying mm. to kind of tread a, a delicate path but, yeah. but no I do because it also helps we, we have a an exhibition every year um, I think we're still going to do it this year we're going to have a we normally have two weeks in London I'm reducing that to one week just to cut our costs yeah um, I have an amazing band of volunteers who have kind of come together around the whole project um, who helped man the exhibition so in, in the first year it was it was just me manning it and and I kind of realized from the day that we had to kind of hack it all down that um, it was quite a lot of work for, for me to do by myself. And sure. I put a little plea out on Facebook going, I don't suppose anyone's free this afternoon who lives in London who could kind of, you know, help me because I've just realized it's quite a lot of work. And, and all these people turned up. It was like something out of a movie. You know, just people kept walking in going, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. Oh, wow. and it, it kind of made me cry. And, oh. and then so, you know, that they all said, like, sign me up for next year. So now we have, like, this group. Um, we have one lady who comes in from Belgium on a train. Um, are they, you know, are they photographer just, wannabes? Are they wanting to... Uh, no, I think that, I mean, some of them love photographers, but, ne but photography, but I don't think they're particularly trying to build a career in that. But there's, yeah. there's a whole set of people who just love going on safari again, where I was, okay. but, you know, and love taking pictures and love that world, yeah. follow a lot of the photographers and want to kind of, but also conservationists as well. So, you know, I have a whole kind of group of animal activists um, supporters who are people that go on marches, you know, against um trophy hunting or fox hunting or whatever yes. it happens to be so you've got that that group of people then you've got people who like to go on safari and then people that you know i've kind of you know who work with me in the pr agency who just still have other jobs or other lives that are just interested in what i'm doing and want to give back they so, just enjoy your company Margo. Oh, no i i think it's I think it's that people, what I have found here is it's, it's, there are so many people who want to do, find a way to give back beyond yeah. necessarily just giving cash to organizations. Yes. And many might not even have the cash to give, but um, don't know what to do or how to, to go about it. Yeah. And, and what I've realized is that this project has, has, has given the opportunity for people to give back. So one of my favorite things that we do every year for the Kickstarter is um, I work with a wonderful jeweler, um, Graham Nuttall, from, uh, he has a company called Gin Jewelry. And he um, and I met on safari, uh, actually on another trip with Jonathan and Angela Scott, probably 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and I did the first elephant book a week. And we just kind of stayed in touch and we were in touch on Facebook. And a week before elephants launched, he contacted me and said, look, I don't, you know, can I, can I help you? I don't know if you realize I'm a jeweler and I could make you an elephant necklace to sell. And uh, that year I just said, look, we're, we're right before launch. I'm flat out. So um, thank you, but I can't take anything else on board but if I do another one next year I'll get in touch and, and we did and ever since then um, he now produces these unique pieces of silver jewelry based on pictures from the books so okay. we'll go through together the pictures we'll select one he'll make a, a kind of example drawing send it to me and I kind of say yes and we make five 
of each, um, which we then sell on Kickstarter. So they sell for like five hundred pounds. Just five. Just yes, exactly. Just five. And are they like design. in a silhouette, like a, a sort of? Is this? I mean, how do they? How can you describe them? Uh, no, I mean they're they're beautiful replicas. So it's not just a silhouette like cut out. You know, they're, they're engraved and carved. Oh so wow! They okay. actually look like the animal. I'll, I'll send you a picture. But on like a so. coin, almost or. Do you know no, what I mean? like no, he, f- he, he cuts it out. He so, oh. cut out. So, like, I've got one here with me um, that's uh, my favourite piece from this year, and it's of a, a cheetah cub. It's actually a picture of Angela Scott, the, the lady I said is my kind of mentor and the original inspiration. Yes, A gorgeous yes. picture of a cheetah cub sitting with the tail of the mother curled around her, and it's cut out, so as a pendant, um, oh, with wow. all, the, all the dots are kind of pressed in, and he's put black into each of the dots, so you can see it's a spotty little cheetah cub. Um, it's a beautiful piece, and, yeah. um, and they're all hallmarked and numbered individually, and and so he's raised thousands for us by making these pieces. You know, he's a real craftsman. He yeah. tells me it takes like twenty hours to make one piece, um, and but that's a great example of you know that's a skill set that he's got that he can um, help us with. Um, you know, and I've had sculptors, I've had artists who've donated pieces. I've you know, so do the they donate them? I work with. Do they donate them? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. So, so I'll um, so like with Graham, my cover his cost of the silver. Um, okay. But you know he donates the work and he makes them for us and and um, donates them. So yes, seriously, people will either donate the entirety or I might cover their cost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the cost of making it and obviously all the the profit comes in. But mm. so so whether it's people that you know they they don't have any other skill, but what they can do is help hang a picture in a gallery or you know volunteer for a day or yeah um you know or uh say my finance director who i'm working with now was actually the finance director who um i worked with at the pr agency for 20 years um and he so he's incredibly skilled and we know each other really well and i i just needed someone really solid and and um you know kind of talented so you know i'm like do we have to apply VAT now that Brexit's coming what does that mean if we're selling in South Africa where do we declare the profits all of those running aspects of the business you know I can kind of hand over to him and trust him and and he works for a a nominal fee monthly because again he's just dedicating his experience to a cause that um, he believes in yeah and so I, I think that's the whole thing that the whole whole series has given an opportunity for whatever skill set someone's got to kind of you know apply it to and focus around it and, and mm. it's a huge team effort if we didn't have all these different people helping so from the photographers donating their work to a jeweler to an artist mm. to, you know blah 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 um <clears throat> we wouldn't have generated the the money that we have but yeah. that that's that's collective sweat that's um, generated that money so tell me do you do you just like if you were you know do you meditate or do these you know do you exercise or meditate or whatever um no i don't I don't meditate. Um, I do um, run a bit um, it, uh, on and off. Sometimes I'll go through spurts where I'm running three times a week down at the, the Thames in London and, and other times I'll um, not do it for a while. Being well, out in nature, I yeah. suppose, is my meditation. Yeah, okay. it's, uh, I, I don't think of it in a traditional sense, but being just out in like going to Richmond Park where I live in London and walking around with the deer around me and things I, yeah. I being back in nature is the yeah. thing that I find therapeutic which goes back to why I fell in love so much with African wildlife because it yeah. just um you know spoke to to my inner soul as it were yeah 
So when you are in that space, walking in Richmond, and you're like in your Zen space, your happy place, um, would how would you describe yourself, like, just as a human being? Oh goodness! <laughs> because you talk, you know what I mean. Because you're talking so much, uh, like I can hear. You know, you so you you super. You and I've, you know, even through our communication, you're super organized, you're super efficient, um, you know how to get stuff done, you know how to create projects, you know, you 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 you're a mover and a shaker. Do you know what I mean? You 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 create and you you know how to you know reach your goals. I'm just curious, like, yeah, just when you're in away from all of that busyness and you know how you see yourself. Um, I've never really thought of it, but I, I suppose I am. Um, I mean, obviously, as you say, I'm, I'm very driven, and if I am focused on something, I I give my heart and soul to it. Um, so, and actually, that's something I've come to recognise as a trait that I inherited from my father, who had his particular passions of sailing and motor racing and, and cars. And he was an expert in all of those things in mm. every aspect. And it's the same thing. If I, if I, I, if I turn my passion and soul to something, then I, you know, or to someone, you know, to friends, I, I, I give it my all. So yeah. I suppose I, I live life with a, a whole heart, not half a heart. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Um, and would you describe yourself as a photographer or a businesswoman? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I suppose I write on my bio that I'm a, um, a conservationist nowadays yeah. um, because ultimately everything I'm doing is, is to try and generate awareness and funds for mm. conservation. Mm. Um, I don't know whether, you know, actually technically I should be someone who works in a project in the field or, you know, but that that's, I suppose that's my designation I have in my head now. It's okay. how I spend most of my time. Yeah. But, um, but I also have a, a portfolio in my life, so to say, because I can take a, a, a relatively small salary for doing this because I don't want to, um, you know, take away from the profits we can generate. But I also work as a business mentor still. So, okay. um, so in the, the PR world, I, I um, will do sessions with people who do run PR agencies okay. still and talk to them about their business so that yeah. I can earn some income um because obviously um life is not free sadly yeah. um but uh, so yes i am I, i'm a businesswoman i'm a pr person i'm um a i'm less and less yeah, yeah. conservationist and, and when i get the chance i'm a wildlife photographer but it's it's not something that i have the opportunity or the time to really spend doing much of now yeah. and in a way for me it feels indulgent um I don't think the same of other wildlife photographers who are out there every day taking pictures because they're telling stories that need to be told. But I know that my skills lie uh, or lead me to a place where I can do more for good by doing what I'm doing than yeah. just being out taking the pictures. Yes. Um, yes. Funny, I was talking to the founder of the Cheetah Conservation Project, which is one of the organizations that will benefit a lot from funds we raise with Remembering Cheetahs. Um, mm a lady called Dr. Laurie Marker, and she founded that 30 years ago. 
and she uh, she pretty much spends all her life now traveling around the world but until COVID came along, um, giving lectures and you know running fundraisers and raising awareness of the Cheetah Conservation Fund. And and she was saying, you know, really, I would I envy those cheetah researchers who are in the Masai Maras, you know, sitting with a clipboard and a van and watching cheetahs all day long. That's yeah. how I'd like to spend my time. But I know I will achieve more for the cheetahs if I actually get on a plane and give a lecture in Dallas than mm. I will, you know watching them and I kind of feel the same it's like it's almost like an obligation to 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 do the books and to to work on that rather than just you know lose myself in nature because it's not achieving much um for nature I really 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 like what you just said I think that there's so much to be learned from exactly what you just said because you know, everyone has at a certain point in their life, so many people get to a point where they want to do something else or they feel they just want to connect more with their truth, you know, just go deeper. And I think it's so important what you just said in that people people must be aware to recognize where they can add the most value, which because you, you, you've on a number of occasions spoken about how you've got to do the administration. And I mean, who likes administration? But you know, people often, they, they see the romance of, oh, I want to, you know, be a photographer, oh, I want to act, or, or I want to be an artist, or, and all these things are possible, but make sure to focus on using all the skill sets that you have that can make you the most um, powerful for society, you know what I mean? Like, that that's exactly it is you could have gone and sat in the bush or you know you talk about uh, Dr. Laurie she could have gone like Jane Goodall and you know sat and watched the gorillas or in her case not gorillas but um often that I, I love that it's it's recognizing that had I done that or if I do that it's not actually using all the skill set that I have in order for me to be the best I can be for society yeah, but actually Jane Goodall is a very good example because she actually has done exactly the same. So it was chimpanzees that she studied and became very famous for. Um, Sorry, yeah, I said for, gorillas. I mean chimpanzees, yeah. yeah. No, that's okay. But yes, but but she actually came to, she talks about having a realization, um, I think it was in the 1990s, that she could achieve more for the chimpanzees if she got on the road and started talking about it, exactly the same as Laurie. Yeah. And I think up until COVID, she famously hasn't spent more than three nights in the same bed for like 20 years because she is constantly on the road. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was lucky enough to meet her a, a couple of years ago. Um, she she wrote the foreword for the Remembering Great Apes book for us. Wow. And then um, we do some limited edition books as well. So she signed the certificates that go with those. So I... I went to her assistant in London's apartment. She'd just flown in from Tanzania that morning and I, I got an audience with her for about 20 minutes while she signed wow. some certificates and we had a, a chat. And, um, and um, you know, she's in her 80s, I, I, I think late 80s, yeah. um, just formidable. And, you know, if I've just got on a night, off a night flight from Tanzania, I am not, you know, all kind of pristine and, and glowing and energetic in the way that she was when I met her that morning, you know, and I, she's double my age. So I'm, um, it's full of awe for her. Yeah. And I actually was able to tell her as well, again, as part of all of the, the journey, some of the inspirations around the time when I was thinking about the elephant book, there was her and, and David Attenborough. So Jane Goodall, I saw giving a 
TV interview on BBC Breakfast in the UK, a kind of news program. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about the elephant poaching situation and, and explained that there are around 400,000 elephants left and 30 to 40,000 are being killed every year by poaching. So if you extrapolate that, um, you know, within 10 to 15 years, mm. there might be no wild elephants left. Mm. And I was, I remember sitting up, I was kind of watching at the cup of tea in bed and, and sitting up in shock at that thought and thinking, my God, these elephants could actually disappear, you know, in my lifetime on my watch, you know. Yeah. And, um, and then I, there was a quote I saw from David Attenborough, which uh, we included in the elephant book. He very kindly let us use. And it was, um, are we ha the question is, are we happy to suppose that our grandchildren will only ever see elephants in a picture book? Mm. Um, and that, kind of inspired me to think of the title remembering elephants i just thought well what what if that you know what if james ah, goodall's okay. prediction came to pass yeah and in 20 years time there were no longer elephants yeah. and therefore in the wild this would be the document by the best photographers out there at the time about what they had been like in the wild in the you know 2010s um, for for our grandchildren um, to to look back on and see what they had been like and we are remembering them wow. and I wanted it to be emotional and provocative and say if we don't do something now yes. we will only be remembering them in, yeah. in picture books so that's where the title came from but oh, wow. um, to go back to Jane I was able to say to her that day you know you giving that interview on BBC Breakfast was part of the inspiration for me doing these books because I was so shocked at you, you know, putting it into numbers in that way. Yeah. And she, she just gave a kind of very wise, you know, kind of pleased <laughs> um, smile and <laughs> said thank you. And and I was and her was elegant way. And, That's her yeah, elegant, quiet was, way. Yeah. Exactly. But I was gratified to be able to tell her that because again, it's like you know, if, if she's it's thankless you say a lot of the work that that she does that Laurie does you know in a way that I do you know it say it's getting getting up at 4 a.m to be on BBC breakfast when you're 88 you know lots of people just are retired and having a rest at that point but you know she's still doing it because she's passionate she's, she yeah. thinks it's going to make it and it did she gave that interview and influenced me and part you know part of the reason why I did this book series so wow. I wanted her to know and get that kind of feedback and, and the, the payback that sometimes, you know, when you, 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 might, you might get up in the morning at four for an interview and think, God, why am I doing this? You know, yeah. actually, you are making a difference. Um, so, yeah, to her credit, she's the same. She would rather be just sitting around watching <laughs> chimpanzees, but yeah. she, she's been given a higher purpose and, and you know, that, that she's followed. But I think that that, you know, that empowers people to know that, you know, because I think people lose their power. It's like you talk about your friends, their kids at private schools, et cetera, and they think about wanting to change and do something more meaningful. You know, you think of the more sort of finite version of the thing that you could be doing, like, for example, photography. But it's so much broader than that, you know. Um, so that's what's empowering for people to sort of start start sort of building that tree, put the branches on of, of everything around it. Because then you can create, in your case, a business model around changing career. You know what I mean? As opposed to just thinking about... I mean, it's the same with me when I had a company, I had a company in London, a recruitment business. So, I mean, I was, I was making very good money, you know, fabulous. And I always wanted to host talk shows. And I, I inquired also about doing various courses in London, et cetera. And I called so many people and they said, well, what are you doing now? I said, yeah, I've got a company. She goes, well, there's no ways because you're going to, you're going to become a journalist and you're going to end up making 
1000 pounds a month or something, you know, and you think about it like that, that completely deflates you, you know, nobody wants to make changes. But if you listen to these great people like yourself, you know, like Jane, like Laurie, you know, there's a bigger picture to, to that change or to, to connecting with your soul, you know? Yes, for sure. And I like what you say about kind of the branches on the tree. I think that's true. It's like, as I repeat, you know, I I didn't on day one write on a piece of paper, you know, the the plan for how I'd get where I am now. Mm. But I think I was open to influence. So, you know, I, I, you know, I sat up and listened in bed that morning attentively to what Jane was saying. You know, I was listening to Jonathan and Angela talk about their life and conservation and looking at, you know, the, the, their pictures to start with, but also just understanding some of the things they cared about. You know, I'm watching David Attenborough things. All these things are kind of filed away in my head and start to formulate something bigger. So there's so there's so many people that you never know when a touch point in your life is going to become pivotal. Um, yeah. But it, you just kind of have your mind and ears open to it and, 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 yeah, as you say, for, for your journey, being open to how you can achieve things. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also that the world is democratizing very quickly. I, I, I actually did see an interview with Jonathan Scott the other day. He was doing a, um, a kind of Facebook Live broadcast and, and talking about how in his day, you know, you had to wait to the BBC to ring you to say, will you present a TV show? And and sometimes, you know, they, they never did. Whereas yeah. now, you know, people <laughs> people make their own shows and pub, self-publish on YouTube or like, you know, with our books, we self-publish. I, I didn't go around trying to find a publisher who'd take us on. We just did it ourselves. Yeah. So um, you can, you know, for, for you, you can now with the technology and things, you can, you can go out and kind of create what would have been very limiting before. Yeah. And that digital photography is the same. You know, the olden days of um, film photography was very difficult to to work with and you you know you would go out i'm hearing anecdotally from people like jonathan you know you'd be in the field for three months you wouldn't even know whether your pictures were any good till you got back to yeah. develop them but <laughs> but now you can kind of look on the back of the camera and you know you can whatsapp it to anywhere in the world within five minutes it's incredible it and you know it's the speed and, and everything but it yeah. does mean that i think dreams are more attainable and, and things like crowdfunding as well that that's really opened up Again, you don't have to go to a bank and pitch to a bank manager for you know a loan to do something if you can't do it. There's, yeah. there's lots of innovative ways to to make your dreams come true sure. if, if you can come up with a, a concept that plays to your skills. Yeah, and to and to your truth, you know, because that's what drives you, as you say, to get up at four in the morning, you know, um, and go and do these yeah. things. Or, um, yeah, obviously talking about about Jane, but. Um, so just a quick one, because I, um, when Paul told me about you, he said that you were also about to do an interview with him live on Instagram. So I sort of, I quickly checked in, but as you know, my, my whole thing is I don't like to know stuff. Otherwise, you know, I, I, why ask a question you already know the answer to, you know, that's sort of my philosophy. So, but, um, I went and I, I dipped in at a moment where he was asking you about the fact that you also had a lot of celebrities on board. Um, and, and then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of checking back out now because I'm going to sort of stay tuned and then I'm going to know too much. But so okay. how, how did you get these people? Um, cause then I did, I, I did scroll your Instagram, of course. So how did you get all these, uh, 
celebrities or whatever to, you know, come on board or to buy the books. I mean, I can imagine it's just logical. They would love to have these books. So, yeah, I mean, again, obviously that, that it plays to my background in PR and marketing okay. to, yeah. to have the idea. So actually the, the celebrity that I can credit with kicking it all off is a, um, a South African born cricketer who played in, in the UK for many years called Kevin Peterson, yeah. who was a bit of a kind of bad boy rock star of cricket. Yeah. Um, but he, because he was born, he, he, he moved to England and played for England, but um, because he was born in South Africa, he... Actually, he had two passions as a teenager, and he wasn't sure whether he was going to be a, a game ranger or a cricketer. And, okay. and his first love was kind of game ranging. And so um, he, on uh, we completed remembering elephants in 2016. Um, obviously, I, I got to um, Christmas that year, finished my radiotherapy, got on a plane on January the first to Kenya, and, and when I landed. Um, at that point, I had kind of decided that I was going to do another book and it was going to be on rhinos, but I hadn't. Um, oh, oh, no, I, went, I was announcing it that day. That's right, on January the 1st. So I'd known for a while, but I hadn't told anyone. And when I looked on Instagram, I'd done my post saying, right, the next book is going to be remembering rhinos. And, yeah. and he'd done a post saying, I hereby declare the rest of my, you know, kind of life now I'm retired from cricket is going to be working on rhino conservation because I'm bloody mad that they're all being poached and yeah. I'm not having it and I'm, I'm going to throw myself behind it and I did actually know him a little bit because he had followed me on Instagram a few years before and um, and I'd given him some pictures of elephants for his son's bedroom okay. of mine um, so I wrote to him and said remember me I'm the one that gave you the picture for your son yeah. and I've just seen your posts and I'm also doing a book on rhinos so you know we should we should help each other and see what you know if there's any similarities and he said great and he was actually doing some fundraising cricket games. So he did one in Melbourne, like at the end of that January. And, and he needed help with things like a video that they could show. And I had footage because we were putting together our Kickstarter video. And so we kind of helped each other. And he said, OK, so if you're doing your Kickstarter, you know, let me know how I can help. I can do a video telling people to support your Kickstarter. And, um, and then when the book's out, you know, bring me a copy and we'll take a picture of me holding it. So he did that in that first year okay. and that really kind of planted the thought for me thinking actually this is an a, you know an extra level so before I <laughs> this had is a platform the photographers <laughs> yeah yeah I'm thinking that you know I had all the photographers probably saying you know I'm contributing to this book but if I can also get celebrities with all of their reach then that will um, build us so yeah. I knew that World Rhino Day was was uh, in September that uh, it was going to be September the 24th I think and um and I thought, well, uh, and the book was due out on like October the 10th. So um, we would have copies once it was printed in August. I had a month to try and get books to as many mm. celebrities as I could and get them to beg them to take pictures and, and hold it up for me and, yeah. and and release them on that day. So very quietly behind the scenes, I, I worked on that for kind of three or four months. And, and it was just a lot of, um, you know, if you have Kevin, you know, I, I I knew someone who worked in PR who did a, some celebrity PR. So I said, I, I know you know that person, you know, will, will, okay. you, will you write to them for me? And, yes. you know, so it was never really me writing directly to okay. someone. And then I knew someone who knew 
um, Chris Martin from Coldplay, his auntie. Yeah. Um, so I wrote to that person who wrote to the auntie. She wrote to me. She said, who are you and what are you doing? And yeah. I said, I'm, I'm Margot and I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And I just, it would be amazing <laughs> if he held up my book. And she wrote back and said, you are an angel and there should be more people like you. I will ask him. And then like three days later, she sent back the email, not with his email address on, but just the email he sent her that just said, I would love to do this auntie. Um, so oh, then I was sweet. put in touch with his PA and we coordinated, you know, where in the hell he was in the middle of a world tour to get a book to him. And, yeah. um, and then I, I met someone else through social media who lives in LA, who's got lots of um, celebrity friends and, and chatted with them a bit about what I was doing and her and her husband got massively behind it and said, you know, we, we, we love safaris. We were out a few years ago. We want to use, you know, our, our contacts to help you. So they're very much part of the team and help me as well um, each year. So, so yeah, we, we did all of it. And, and they, they are good friends with Russell Crowe. So um, the, the day I got, they WhatsApp me a video of Russell Crowe holding up the book saying, look at this book, isn't it beautiful? Um, I nearly fainted. You know, it was uh, <laughs> beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. But I kept secret and then on world rhino day like 7 a.m i you know released the first picture and said it's world rhino day and here's russell crowe you know celebrating rhinos by holding up remembering rhinos and at 7 30 it's like and now here's chris martin and yeah and just all day i put another picture up another picture wow. up. um a, a good girlfriend of mine who um i knew from london who used to run another big pr agency she's actually out in dubai now yeah. She, um, she just posted and said, this is a masterclass in PR because, you know, just throughout the day, everyone got excited. Everyone was tuning in to see who the next one was. And, yeah, um, you, you know, created this sort of, one ex- of them. Yeah, excitement and jeopardy around it. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's also just, it, again, there's a psychology of um, which, you know, I, I, I see people now learning how I've done it and kind of uh, and and imitating it and and you know that that's all for the good if it's kind of inspiring other people but if you've got a once you've got like a with the photographers once I had some big names to start with so Jonathan Angelus got a very well known and respected and because they were my friends and my mentors they were one of the early ones who signed up for the elephant book so it was a much easier job to knock upon the door of another photographer and say well look Will you do this, Jonathan Angela Scotter? You yeah. know, that then they'd say, "Oh, of course, if they're doing it, we'll do it." Yes. You know, whereas it, yes. it gives you a prestige, and it's the same thing. Once I could ring and say, uh, "I think it's actually Ricky Gervais's agent." It was the agent in that case, but normally it's not the agent because they're very difficult to get through. But you know, I could say, you know. Russell Crowe's doing it and Chris Martin's doing it, then people are much more like, oh, okay, if they're doing it, I'll do it. Whereas but what do you mean by it's, that? It's it's usually the agent? Because it's the... Oh, no. So I so I, I don't normally go via the agent uh, because a, a celebrity has an agent who is like their guard dog. Yes, um, I know. And yeah. who stops you from getting to that person. But also their job is to help that a celebrity make money. Yeah. Um, so they will... Um, you know, would not want to do something necessarily that's just holding up something for free. So, yes. is it say my route is normally I know someone who knows their auntie. Uh, yes, it, it's you don't just write cold to an agent because you just don't get very far. So, no, um, but but to say whatever route you choose, if you can say we've already got you know so and so a starting point, it helps. And, yeah. and definitely, Kevin as the very first person that supported um, was an amazing, amazing kind of ally. Amazing. And, um, and I'm really, um, you know, say he, he had this kind of bad boy rock and roll reputation, <laughs> but he, 
has so dedicated his life now to rhino conservation and i have huge respect for him for him yeah um and again you know it's he's he's pushing himself into stuff that um you know it's really hard work and um and doing a great job wow that's yeah a beautiful also and very inspiring you know for everyone listening like you know everything's possible and I, you know i really believe when you when you're really connecting with with your heart you know that things things will happen and you just got to keep going and yeah just just keep believing in yourself i mean do you have you ever wanted to quit or stop or you know oh god all the time <laughs> yeah why why yeah well just things that that i can get disheartened by say i mean there are you know there are politics in this industry and, um, you know, that there'll be, you know, if someone turns you down or says no, or someone criticizes you, um, yeah. you know, you, um, you know, it, it's, I don't have the toughest of skin and I probably should have a, a tougher skin, but as I say, I'm very sensitive to things. So if I hear a criticism from someone like we're talking about where someone, you know, said to me, Oh, well, you know, some people think maybe you're only doing this to elevate yourself, yeah. you know, that, that hurts. And then I think, Oh, Maybe I should just, you know, crawl away and hide again and, and not expose myself, you know, to to to, to people that kind of, kind of attack in that way. But but then, you know, the next week we donated a, a Land Cruiser and I'm feeling on a high because we've achieved that. So I think no, no, I should keep going. And but yeah, no, it's a constant. Um, you know, I, I think it'd be very arrogant to to be unquestioning in 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 a path that you take. Well, no, I think it's also just, it's, it's, it is, it's life. life. Even when you do what you love, it's not easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has knockbacks for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I watched um, a little while ago, the, the movie about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting. Yeah. Obviously he was so revered, but you know, he got pushed out of his own company and I was, you know, I was thinking about, you know, even someone like that, that, you know, you think has got it all and created a wonderful product, you know, went through some, some really hard times as well. You know, Margot, what, yeah, what an amazing journey you're, you're on. We're going to lead towards wrapping up. I think what I, what I'd really like sort of to, to share with our guests and, you know, cause here you are doing something so, yeah, so connected with yourself, with your heart um, you talk about all these emotional experiences that you've had through the, you know, the different books that you've published. Um, yeah, just a really connected, you're very connected with your business. Um, and you talk about the fact that sometimes you do think, you know, I just want to get out. So in, in this question, because a lot of people have this, you know, they want to do good, they are doing good, but it's not easy. Um, what, like, what sort of tips or, you know, what advice could you sort of leave with our listeners now, you know, in terms of what, what, what do you do to keep you going or, you know, to, to motivate yourself again? Um, I think it's, it is, you have to focus on or stay really focused on what you're trying to achieve and what you are achieving, um, you know, and, do do double check your motives as to why you're doing things mm. uh, in your heart. Um, but if you're doing them for the right reason, doing whatever it is for the right reason, and and it's doing some good, um, then block out some of the you know the, the negative stuff that swells around. You know, whether it's you know within yourself and self doubt or um, you know external forces, and just keep reminding yourself of the good. 
Um, and that's to say that for me, when, when we give back to projects, that's the best moment of the whole year because I feel such satisfaction that I can physically see we've achieved something. And, yeah. um, and I think, okay, so maybe the, the price of that, you know, sometimes is in emotional toil of oneself, but, but it's worth it if you can actually achieve something. So um, try and block out the negative, you know, what once you're sure you're doing the right thing. Mm. And do you have like practical tips of how you personally block it out? Because, you know, these voices can be quite loud. Well, um, again, you, you asked about meditation. I, I don't do that, but say for, for me, just, you know, I've, I'll go for a long walk in the countryside, um, you know, or along the Thames or something, just to clear my head. Okay. Um, I find I kind of process things um, if I just try and leave them behind. But, you know, finding ways to straight or, or, you know, picking up the phone to someone who inspires you and who believes in the project and saying, I mean, I've got some an amazing network of friends who are very supportive and People I can just ring up and say, oh, I'm having a bad day. Do you yeah. think I'm doing the right thing? And they, they say, of course you are. Um, I mean, I even did it yesterday with one of our photographers and, and that there's, and said, oh, do you think, you know, do you think we've just, people are going to get bored of this? Have I, have I done too many? And he said, mm -hmm. no way. You know, you've, there's, there's such appetite for it. You've got to keep going. And you're like, okay, thanks. You know, so yeah. I personally, um, I, I draw strength and inspiration from other people a lot. I'm yeah. not, um, you know, kind of very isolated in how I work. So by, I don't have the work colleagues I had when I was in a company of 120 people, but I have a network of friends and, you know, through social media or personally that I can kind of lean on and, mm. and, and draw strength and inspiration from when I need it. Yeah. Oh, that's stunning. And I love how you being so, you know, sort of open and honest about it as well, you know, just in terms of calling your friend yesterday and saying, you know, do you think people will get bored of it? Because that's, it, it, it's exactly what everyone deals with in their head. You know, everyone's heads are designed to keep us safe and, and not, I just had an interview with a really interesting guy who swims in the most extreme conditions. And that's exactly what he was saying. You know, he's talking about that our, our heads are designed to keep us from failing. And it's exactly that, you know, it's this voice in your head that says, you know, oh goodness, you know, people are going to get bored with it. And I love how you, you know, you say you just go for a walk or you, you know, you call a friend, you call someone who believes in you and believes in your project. And it's, it's might seem simple to you, but these are such healthy, practical tips that people, they, they actually have at their fingertips, you know, that everyone can just use. Um, yeah, for, for. No, that's such good. Yeah. No, and uh, thank you. I mean, I mean, I'm glad if that that's helpful. And I suppose the other thing is you you have to realise that everyone has those doubts, and it's not. It's really easy from the outside to you know whatever walk of life look at people who are successful, um, like we said with Steve Jobs, and and think, well, you know, they've got it made. You know, that they never had a bad day in their life. They just got on and did great things. But actually, everyone has ups and downs and bad days and mm. self doubt and. You know, some might hide it better from others. I, I suppose I'm I'm quite an open book, by you know, pouring my heart out about it. But it's how I deal with it as well, being being open and and honest with you know with friends and um you know and and, and even in the words I write in the books and things. And yeah. I, but also, I think that's one of the reasons that people like engage with the series because it's it's very personal as well. They 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 they're on the journey with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but but everyone has. Everyone has doubts um, and don't believe otherwise. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's so nice. And it's, I, I agree. And it's just beautiful, 
you know, that there's no rocket science solution to it. You know, you either go for a walk or you call someone who supports you, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Talk about, you know, putting things out there. Is it mostly on your website or where's sort of the place to be with you? Uh, well, with... Um I mean, we have the website, which is rememberingwildlife.com, mm-hmm. and on there it has all, all the basics. It has a link to buy the books. It has the celebrity supporters. It has the projects where the money goes. Um, so that's a kind of good resource for information. Mm. But but we're also remembering wildlife on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and that has much more kind of you know ongoing updates. So we were just posting pictures from being on press in Italy last week. So yeah. if you want to kind of follow the day-to-day journey and, you know, when I get the first copy of the book in my hands, you know, I'll be posting pictures of it madly. And, and that's a way to kind of, you know, be, become friends with the project and, and, and follow us in that way. And then I've got my own personal handles as well, um, which I kind of swap between the two. So yeah. um, people follow me, just Margot Raggett on Facebook, and, and you, you, you also follow the, the journey of what I'm up to. So you are... You're in Greece now, in a little villa. Yes. And you're about to um, have an hour's break and go into another interview. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's lunchtime here now. It's one o'clock. I know. I I can just grab a bite to eat. And then I'll sit back down and do this. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, listen, Margot, thank you so much. We'll, We'll be in touch again. Okay, wonderful. All, All right. right. Well, thank you. And um, good for you for, for changing your path as well and, and, and doing something that you love. Margot, thanks so much for coming onto the show with me. I, yeah, I just, I feel like I've lived in your shoes for a little bit. And yeah, what a cool and admirable life journey um you ventured um you know I just I I love the wisdoms that you've left us with and um yeah just showing that everything is possible you know for for myself and for the listeners that you know you can be on a certain path and there's nothing stopping you at a certain moment to change the course of your actions or to change your route and it doesn't have to be so dramatic to begin with as I said in the interview you know it can be yeah uh, slowly start exploring things and let them unfold and you know let, let them develop but if you look at it in the sort of black and white you know this is my job or switch to that yeah that's going to scare the living daylights out of anybody uh, certainly if you have responsibilities so it's just you showcase such a inspiring life journey you know from your your health challenges and how you got through that and then creating these amazing books and you know getting these uh, celebrities on board to help you promote it and it's just beautiful to see how you've you know you've put everything together um to be the best of who you are and I'm just super grateful that I had um yeah just a little moment of uh time in your in your life journey so thanks so much for for coming on the show with me so guys it's now that time for me to introduce my next guest so guys, my next guest, her name is Justine Delarue, and yeah, what a super cool story. She's from Zimbabwe. She comes from um, 
yeah, a very successful family who had a cattle ranch in Zimbabwe, which was back then Rhodesia. And um, yeah, she had family coming over from Patagonia and the other half coming over from the UK. And together they sort of merged man, woman, and, you know, they created this massive cattle ranch in um, in Zimbabwe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm already wanting to tell you the story because it's a super cool story. But I think what I really want to sort of tickle your fancy with, so to speak, or sort of entice you is, is the, the knowledge that what I really got out of the story with her was how, you know, living a simple life, um, has just so much yeah, benefit in a way to, you know, choosing to live the city life where you're on public transport every day and, you know, you may be earning a higher salary. But, um, you know, she talks about the blue skies and the slower lifestyle, the slower pace. And, you know, just for her, she, um, yeah, she really connected with, within me she connected with the importance of how important it is to be true to yourself and know what's important to you as an individual so yeah her life story is going to be profound for you as well and I cannot wait to share it with you so next week Justine Delarue and um, yeah before I close off don't forget to share this with friends go into my Instagram inspirational interviews Jen Rod um Subscribe on the website. Every week you'll get a super cool life story. And for those of you guys needing an interview, send me an email, jen at inspirationalinterviews.com. Thanks, guys, for listening to the show. And as I always say, see you on the flip side.